Amen. Well, we are one week away from Christmas. And coming from someone who decorated for Christmas in early uh, November, uh, Christmas somehow kind of snuck up on me uh, this year. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but I'm not really quite mentally ready for Christmas. Uh, but whether or not I'm ready, uh, it's coming. And for some of you, uh, that may uh, be the case as well. You may or may not be ready for Christmas. A lot of you guys are going through various things currently, and for some of you, that may put you out of the Christmas mood a bit. But no matter if you are in the Christmas mood or not, we can reflect on the hope that comes with this Christmas season. As again, the true reason for the season is celebrating the birth of Jesus. When we celebrate the birth of Jesus, there is immense immense hope to be had, as hope is here, and it's here to stay. And throughout our Hope is Here series, we've been taking a look at different assurances of the Messiah throughout the scriptures. We see that Jesus fulfills each of these different assurances. First week, we took a look at uh, the, the first assurance of the Messiah in Genesis chapter 3, as God is cursing the serpent for deceiving uh, the man and woman to, to eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And because of that, God said that an offspring of the woman would crush or, or bruise, whatever translations read. It will crush the head of the serpent. In other words, Jesus would have victory over the evil guy in our lives. The main bad guy in the story of humanity, Jesus is going to have victory over him. That brings me hope, and that should bring us all hope as well. And last week, we took a look at uh, the assurance that God gave uh, to his servant Abraham, and that the offspring of Abraham would bless the whole earth, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through the Messiah. And lo and behold, all the nations have been blessed through uh, the promise of the Messiah as the Messiah died for the sins of the world. And all we have to do is accept that sacrifice, accept that free gift of eternal life through our faith, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And today we continue our series by talking about the assurance of the Messiah given to King David. And so we're going to jump right into it uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to uh, the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we're going to be uh, reading through the Davidic Covenant, a passage that a handful of you guys may be familiar with. In 2 Samuel, it's all about uh, the reign of David as king. David, he, he was the second king of the unified nation of Israel. He became a king after Saul. David, he served under uh, King Saul, and, and he did a wonderful job of serving under King Saul. In fact, he did such a marvelous job serving under King Saul that King Saul became very jealous of David. And so long story short, David, or excuse me, Saul sought to kill David. David went on the run. Saul was later on uh, killed in battle. And then David was chosen as the next king of Israel. And David's one of my uh, favorite heroes of our faith. And if you want to read about David as the king of Israel, the unified nation of Israel, 2 Samuel is the book for you as it's all about the reign of David as king. 
And in uh, chapter 7, uh, where we will be spending the bulk of our time uh, this morning, this is really just the beginning of David's reign as king. The first six chapters is kind of the, the, the process of him being anointed, chosen, uh, the transition from Saul being the king of Israel to now David being the king of Israel. So in chapter 7, David, he, he is really just getting started as the king of Israel. And so then we pick up in the story in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. It reads, Now when the king, that's King David, lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And so here, King David, he, he's talking to the prophet Nathan shortly after uh, he had a palace built for himself. Uh, this is the first uh, of what we see from the prophet Nathan throughout the scriptures. He shows up a couple times later throughout the scriptures. He uh, later, in just a few chapters, in chapter 11, he rebukes David for his sin and committing adultery with Bathsheba and trying to cover that up. And, and the prophet Nathan was also present at, at Solomon's uh, coronation as Solomon, the son of David, was the next king of Israel. And so here, King David is having this conversation with this faithful prophet, Nathan. And to better understand what David is talking about here, we have to understand the history of the tabernacle, the the earthly uh, dwelling place of God, where the ark of God, where the ark of the covenant uh, dwelt uh, during the time of David. And so if we uh, rewind uh, about uh, 400, e- even before that, uh, really starting uh, with the time of Jacob and his family and Joseph bringing his family into Egypt, the Israelites, they, they moved over to the nation of Egypt. They started in good terms of the nation of Egypt, but eventually things turned sour and they were treated as slaves in the nation of Egypt. And so the Israelites, they wanted out of there. And so God freed the Israelites from the nation of Egypt through his servant, Moses. And so Moses then, he had the task of leading the Israelites around in the wilderness for 40 years. They had to wander around for 40 years because of a lack of faith in God. And all the adults at that time, they, they weren't able uh, to enter the land of Canaan and their, their, their journey because of their lack of faith. And so uh, Moses, he's leading the Israelites around for 40 years in the wilderness. Um, and the, the Israelites, they would move from place to place during these 40 years so they couldn't get too settled in uh, any one spot. That would be, uh, to me, that would be extremely annoying. Uh, I know uh, I've moved a handful of times, about four or five times in my life, and that's about three or four uh, too many times uh, for me. Moving is extremely annoying. Any, can anybody else relate with me and the struggle and the annoyance of moving? Well, the Israelites, they were constantly on the move for 40 years. I'm glad I I was not a a part of that group. But within these 40 years, God establishes the Mosaic law. He establishes uh, the priestly order and he establishes the tabernacle. And now Ben, if you have uh, that model of the tabernacle, if you could show that up, that is a a model of the tabernacle that was instituted uh, during the time of Moses. This is actually a full scale uh, replica. Well, not that picture there, but but what's in that picture is a full scale uh, replica 
of the tabernacle that was built in 2000. Uh, they actually had to take it down uh, in 2006 for financial uh, reasons. Uh, but uh, throughout uh, the, the law of Moses, it, it details very specifically what this tabernacle looked like. The, the tabernacle was the earthly dwelling place of God. It, it resembled God's presence among the Israelites, and it housed uh, the Ark of the Covenant, an extremely, extremely important artifact that, that also uh, re- resembled God's presence amongst the Israelites. And so you'll notice that, these, uh, that this tabernacle, it, it was made up, made up of mostly two things, curtains and wooden beams. It was made out of these uh, simple materials so that they could transport it from place to place as the Israelites were traveling often. And so you'll see the outside that that's all made of the curtains and, and we have the wooden beams there as well. And then within uh, th- this wall made of curtains, you'll see uh, that big brown uh, box there. That is uh, a model of the altar where the priest uh, would perform the different sacrifices. And then right by uh, that big brown box, you'll see uh, a little place uh, to wash. The bronze basin uh, is where the priests would ceremoniously uh, wash themselves uh, before uh, taking parts in these different sacrifices and before entering the tent in the middle. You'll see uh, that that black tent in the middle, that is uh, the holy place. Uh, it housed uh, in this holy place, it housed uh, the table of the showbread, it housed uh, the lampstand, and it housed the altar of incense, uh, all important artifacts uh, for the Israelites at that time. And then inside this holy place, uh, that, that black tent there in the middle, and the back half of it, there was a very thick curtain that separated uh, the, the holy place and the rest of the tabernacle and the rest of the world to the holy of holies, the most holy place. And this holy of holies, this holy place, uh, it was separated by a thick curtain, and this is where the Ark of the Covenant uh, resided. And it represented the presence of God. That, 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 that was God, that represented God dwelling with his people, the Israelites, in this most holy of holies. And only once a year, only once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest alone was able to enter uh, the holy of holies, the most holy place. And so the high priest served as a mediator between God and mankind, a, a mediator that was only able to enter uh, the presence of God once a year. And so ever since this tabernacle was instituted in the wilderness, that served as the house of the Ark of the Covenant, and it served as the house of the presence of God to his people, merely some curtains and some wooden beams. Not, not something very glamorous, because again, they, they needed something that could transport very easily. And so that would have been around uh, 1450 BC. That's around the time Moses was leading the Israelites out of uh, the nation of Egypt and and wandering around in the wilderness. And David, he is king around 1000 BC. So around, not not an exact number here, but, but around 450 years, the earthly dwelling place of God was in this. Some curtains and wooden beams, uh, essentially also called a tent. God resided in a tent for 450 years. That's incredible. All the while, 
we fast forward here in 2 Samuel 7, the beginning of the reign of King David, David's been just got done building a top-of-the-line palace for himself. This palace, uh, uh, David mentioned, that it, that's the house made of cedar. Uh, cedar wood apparently uh, was the rarest and most valuable timber of the time. So there's a discrepancy here. David living in, in a big fancy palace and then God residing in a tent. And that, uh, apparently that, that made David uncomfortable. David wanted to remedy this. And so David, he, he wanted to build a more permanent structure for God to dwell in. And he's telling this to the prophet Nathan, a, a faithful prophet that, that we find out through this, the scriptures. And Nathan tells him, good job, good, good job. Go and do all that is in your heart, King David, for the Lord Yahweh, he is with you. And so Nathan says, go ahead and do it. And so he's encouraging David to then go build a temple for God. And then we continue in verse four and it says, but that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where, I've, where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? And so here we see that that, that, same, that same day that, that Nathan, or, or excuse me, David tells Nathan that he wants to build God a temple, God talks to Nathan and he says, go and tell my servant David. Long story short, uh, God is telling Nathan here that for hundreds of years, God has been dwelling in this tent. And not once did he command his people to build him a more permanent temple. And so God continues and he, and he says in verse eight, now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you went and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And I'll make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I'll appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And so God tells uh, David, essentially through the prophet uh, Nathan, that God has granted David vi uh, victory over all of his enemies. And that includes both foreign enemies and local enemies, as Saul himself was an enemy of David. And God granted David victory over all of his enemies. And God says that, that David's name, it will be great. And the Lord will make him a house. And this is where it gets juicy here uh, in verse 12. Uh, yeah, juicy. Uh, in uh, verse 12, uh, God continues and he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. He shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. You shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. 
your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And so this right here, this is uh, the bulk uh, of the Davidic covenant here. There's a lot to break down here in this passage. So first off, this is about David's offspring. This isn't really about David himself, but but rather his offspring. And we find out through, through this covenant that God establishes with David, we find out that David's offspring, it would one, it would establish a kingdom. A, a kingdom essentially is, uh, consists of a land, a uh, ruler, and a group of followers. That, that was pretty much a, a kingdom, a nation. So that this offspring of David established a kingdom. This offspring of David would build the house for God's name. It would, uh, when uh, his offspring commits iniquity, God will discipline him, we find out. But God's love will not depart from him. And through David's offspring, we also find out that his house, his kingdom, and his throne would be established forever. You know, sometimes uh, when, when in our common day speech, we'll say something, last forever. That's pretty uh, dramatic uh, language there. And when we say forever, really the majority of the time, we don't really mean forever. But here, I think God means exactly what he is saying that the offspring of David would establish his house, throne, and kingdom forever. So the question then is, who is that offspring that God has in mind in this Davidic covenant, that he, that he would do these different things, establishing the kingdom, building the house for God's name, and so forth? Who is that offspring? And that's where I think uh, this covenant can get uh, a tiny bit confusing, as I think Solomon, he partially fulfills this covenant. Solomon, uh, he is the son of David. He is the third king of the unified nation of Israel. If we were uh, to continue the story and reading into 1 Kings as well and reading about the, the reign of Solomon, we learn that Solomon, he eventually builds a house for God's name. And he was establishing his father's kingdom. He was establishing the kingdom of David, the, the, the nation of Israel. It was under uh, Solomon's rule that they built the temple. And Solomon, we find out, was not perfect. Solomon was disciplined in his life, but God still loved him. God's love would not depart from him. So in one sense, on one hand, Solomon fulfills a, a decent chunk of this covenant that God establishes with David. The issue is when reading this covenant, it appears Solomon is not the complete fulfillment of this covenant. There's one big issue here. Solomon did not establish this house, this throne, this kingdom forever. Instead, we we, we find out if we continue the story, it's under Solomon's son Rehoboam that the kingdom was then divided, the ten northern tribes, the two southern tribes, and eventually the the ten northern tribes conquered by Assyria, the two southern tribes conquered by Judah. And so this was not a kingdom, this was not a nation, this was not a throne, a house that was established forever. And so we have an issue here. Either one, God is wrong, or two, God is referring to a different offspring of David as well. And me personally, I, I don't like to put all my eggs in the basket that God is wrong. And so that makes me think that, that, that there is something more taking place here. Who would establish that house, that kingdom and throne forever? And thankfully, Peter helps us answer that question in the New 
Testament, about a thousand years after God uh, gave this covenant, said this covenant to the prophet Nathan to then give to King David. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, about a thousand years later, uh, Peter, he, he really clears the water here on who this offspring is that God is talking about. And uh, this is in the midst, uh, we're jumping right in the middle of a sermon here that Peter delivers. And outside of any message uh, that Jesus delivers uh, himself, this has probably got to be my favorite sermon recorded throughout the scriptures. Peter, he is on fire here. This is shortly after the ascension uh, of his savior, Jesus, as Jesus ascended into the right hand of God. He was present there. I mean, he's got to have passion and he's talking here to the Israelites, the same group of people who had him crucified in the first place. And so Peter here, he does not beat around the bush. He is preaching with fire and with passion. He cuts right to the issue. Uh, he, he is a lot more uh, bold than I am. Uh, sometimes I may uh, try and beat around uh, the bush and, and be too nice, too gentle, but, but that was not uh, Peter here in Acts chapter 2. And so we're, we're not re really reading uh, that, that fiery part here. I encourage you to read through uh, this message that Peter uh, gives uh, later on uh, this day. But in, in the middle of this message, in verse 29 of Acts chapter 2, Peter says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, who, by the way, whom you crucified. And so here, uh, Peter, here, he, he's alluding to this covenant that we read all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where, where God tells David that one of his offspring was going to uh, inherit the throne and inherit it forever. He's going to establish his throne, this kingdom, uh, this house forever. And apparently in verse 31, he, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, as this Jesus, God raised up. As Jesus, he was crucified on the cross. But thank the good Lord that Jesus, he did not remain in Hades. He, he did not remain in the grave. But instead, on the third day, God raised him victoriously from that grave. And Jesus, he had victory over death once and for all. And Jesus, he, he's no longer ministering here on earth, but, but as David alludes it in the 110th Psalm, he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit up my right hand and I'll make your enemies your footstool. That is taking place right now. The, the, the first Lord there, uh, Yahweh, Yahweh the, the, the Lord, uh, Yahweh the almighty creator of the heavens there said to uh, my Lord, that, that's to Christ Jesus, sit at my right hand. And so currently Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, interceding on behalf of all mankind. And we see here 
that Peter illustrates that as sort of uh, uh, the, the, this covenant of David fulfilled through Jesus and is verified through the resurrection. Verified by the fact that Jesus now he is sitting at the right hand of God. You know, that, that's uh, where, where it can get, uh, where it did get confusing uh, for the Jews of that time, the original followers of Jesus, that Jesus would establish a house, a throne, and a kingdom forever. The followers of Jesus, many of them, they, they, they were well familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. They're well familiar that this Messiah, this chosen one, was to establish a house, a kingdom, and a throne forever. And that's where it got muddled up a bit for the original followers of Jesus. They were expecting Jesus to do that right then and there at his first coming. Uh, in fact, if we were to read in uh, the chapter before this, in chapter 1 of Acts, uh, his disciples are asking right before he ascends to heaven, they ask, Lord, will yet this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they thought that Jesus was going to establish this kingdom, this, this throne, this house forever. Well, it turns out that 2,000 years later, Christ still has not established the forever kingdom, the fulfillment of the kingdom. We're still waiting. 1 Corinthians 15 uh, details this process of Jesus establishing the kingdom forever. He will establish God's kingdom here on earth. And after every enemy has been, been defeated, Christ will hand over the kingdom to his heavenly father, to his God, Yahweh. And we can be assured that is coming. God has not failed us yet. God has never lied. He is a God who cannot lie. And God tells us that David's offspring is going to establish a kingdom, a throne, a house that lasts forever. And Peter here, a thousand years later, kind of uses the resurrection to verify that Christ is that offspring of David. He is that offspring that is going to establish uh, David's throne, David's kingdom forever as Jesus being the son of David. That, that was, uh, we're, this is going to be a passage we're going to read next week. And the, the promise that the angel gives to Mary and to Joseph that Jesus, he is the son of David. He's going to establish the kingdom. Jesus is that offspring. He is the chosen one to establish the forever kingdom. And so as we celebrate Christmas this year, we can be reminded of the hope that the son of David brings to us. Because at the meantime, where we live in a broken world that, that is cursed due to sin from the very beginning, due to the sins of mankind, God gave us the assurance that Christ would have victory over the enemy. A little later on, when Abraham comes along, God gave us the assurance that the whole world, all the nations of the earth, would be blessed through the offspring of Abraham. Fast forward about another thousand years into the reign of David, and God gave us the assurance that David's offspring would establish an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that has no end. And I don't know about you, but to me, that gives me hope. That gives me hope where even though I'm going to be going through trials and tribulations for 10, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 years, you name it, 
and it's not even begin to compare to a kingdom that lasts forever. Wasn't uh, necessarily uh, planning on this, uh, calling an audible here, but uh, in Revelation uh, 21, uh, one of my favorite uh, passages, here uh, the writer of Revelation, John, he describes this kingdom, this forever kingdom. And John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the, first earth and the, or for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I love that. love that description of the coming kingdom where God himself is going to be with his people. It's going to be with his people who have remained faithful to the end of the days of their life, of a living and active faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. And I firmly believe that we will see God face to face as God is with us in his coming kingdom here on earth. And he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's been a lot of people in this church we mentioned earlier who, who've been suffering, who've been crying, who've been mourning, who have been suffering through pain. A handful of people who have lost loved ones recently. All of that is going to be gone. That, that is all a part of the curse of sin because of the temptation of the devil and, and this main issue of sin in our life. That is all going away. The former things will, will, will pass away. And God is making all things new in his coming kingdom that will last forever. And in this Christmas season, we can put our hope in that kingdom. That around 1,000 B.C., about 3,000 years ago, God told his servant David that your offspring, David, he is going to establish that kingdom forever. And for me, that gives me hope this Christmas season. And I pray that gives you all hope as well as the church of God, that hope is here. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for the hope that is present, the hope in a kingdom that lasts forever, where there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. Father, we long for that day where you make all things new. We long for that day where the offspring of David, the son of David, establishes your kingdom here on earth for all of eternity. Until that day, Father, I just pray 
that you provide us with that hope, that that hope drives us day in and day out, no matter what life may throw our way, no matter the struggles, the trials, the tribulations that we may, and the trials and struggles and tribulations that we are going through right now, Father, I pray that we recognize hope is here, all due to your plan through your Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of David. We love you, and it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. And all of God's church said, amen.